Good morning, afternoon and evening, Fruitball fans, and welcome back to another fantastic episode of Fruitball Weekly, the film review podcast where we give you all the juicy details and thought-provoking opinions on the movie of the week, and we also contain 100% spoilers. So grab a snack, pour a drink, and get comfy for another fruitful review. I'm your host, Ramra, joined by my co-host, Kitchen! Hello! And today we review The Suicide Squad, a superhero action-adventure film directed by James Gunn and released in 2021. The Suicide Squad is a film about Amanda Waller, Viola Davis, and her need to stop Project Starfish. To do this, she assembles a group of ragtag villains and misfits who have strange and unusual powers led by the average mercenary Bloodsport, Idris Elba, to infiltrate the island nation of Carto Maltese and stop Project Starfish. Them Suicide Squad guys, they're back again, and they're better than ever. Can what, I just what say? What do you mean again? This is the Suicide Squad. This is the only Suicide Squad. D- there is no again. You're absolutely correct on that one. Just to start off with, let's just talk about the first half an hour of the film, which is just an immediate sort of red herring. And they set it up like, yes, these are going to be the characters that you're going to see throughout the film. You've got guy who throws balls really well. You've got guy who straps guns to body. You've got javelin man. They have a giant American flag behind them. They're going on a mission. And they've got Harley Quinn. And they've got Harley Quinn there as well. And Captain Boomerang is back for the first time. And Flag. They've got (laughs) Boomerang and they've got Flag who are both back for the first time. Back for the first time. And they just show you that this this ain't your dad's suicide squad. This ain't your grandpappy's suicide squad. Because these motherfuckers are going down. (laughs) And I will say that there's nothing that hits that like R rating more than when Blackguard gets shot in the face and his face just eviscerates. Like, when you see him get shot in the face and it is just a crater is there, it's like, <laughs> wow. Yeah. The entire opening sequence is just a way to gun down as many people as possible as and people. remove the past elements. Yeah. So you think, oh, it's Captain Boomerang. He's dead. He's absolutely dead. <laughs> but he is the one that goes out in the coolest way, though, in my opinion. Yeah. But you're thinking, clearly, some of these characters, they have special abilities, you know? Like, maybe there's some supervillains in there that can, like, explode people's brains with their minds. No. 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 You have a guy who can take his arms off and slap people. And slap, you know, just give you a nice game of pie cake from across the way. Because instead of giving him a power that's useful, like, <laughs> his arms can move quickly when they're detached from him they sort of just move at a snail's pace and then instead of utilizing his hands to i don't know grab weapons or attack people he just sort of slaps them in the face and takes their hats (laughs) exactly like he could have grabbed one of the guns and just like fired the guns at them or something but no he's just like hitting them on their head (laughs) they're being attacked by the entire military of this country yes and detachable limb kid whatever it's called yeah it's just a minor inconvenience (laughs) And through this whole sequence of events, we're following mostly Savant. Yes, yes, we are. Who is, from the intro sequence, set up to be your typical, I can hit any target, I'm a super weapon expert man. Which there are many of in this film. Yeah, like they set him up as 
oh, look at me. I don't even have to look at the targets when I throw things at them. Let me huh, show you... Amateurs. <laughs> yeah, let me show you me killing this bird with a rubber ball or something. It's like, all right, I get you, Savant. And uh, <laughs> you just love the fact that at the end of this scene, he's, like, crying and he's probably yeah. scared and panicked. And this scene also shows you, even though Amanda Waller is basically the same character as she was in... Suicide Squad when that was released. To me, she's way more vicious in this. Oh, yeah. Like, she, the minute Savant tries to swim away, even though I reckon he would have been, like, eaten by, you know, sea animals, fish, yeah, it whatever. Yeah, would have drowned in the it sea drowned. Anyway, yeah. She's just like, look, if you don't turn back, I am actually going to blow your head up. And he doesn't listen because he's panicked. So she does, she just presses that button and kaboom. And that's really the thing, because in The Suicide Squad... The film is rated R, but in Suicide Squad, the film that didn't really happen, that was a PG-13. So they can really show the extremes and the violent acts perpetrated by both the Suicide Squad and the crew who are controlling them, who have these bombs implanted in the Suicide Squad's brains. Yes. So they can really go ham on everything they show. And there is this weird psychological thing going on in the film where you don't really know who the bad guy is. Because yeah. everyone's actions are sort of reprehensible, and within the Suicide Squad itself, there are a few characters who are good people, and who may just be victims of circumstance. And then you have other characters that are, like, Weasel, who has eaten <laughs> 27 children, or whatever. As far as we know. That's yes. never been proven. That is, that is they never true. found the bodies. <laughs> <laughs> but exactly. And Waller and the, the rest of the crew controlling the Suicide Squad are making a Deadpool on who would die first. They're laughing at the deaths of others. Yeah, They're literally sending them to their doom, and we're expected to believe that they're the good guys. Or supposedly the good guys. What I love about that group, though, is the fact that it's like typical bureaucracy, where information yes. gets lost as it travels. Like, did nobody check that Weasel could swim as Weasel's drowning? It's like, no, nobody checked that Weasel could swim. Why would we? That yeah. isn't my job to check that. Exactly, and it just shows how expendable they are. Yeah, and just as like he's disappointed because he's lost out on money because Weasel's the first to go or something, it's like, wow, okay, <laughs> yeah, true. Fair exactly. enough. I mean, honestly, Weasel is less of a person as he is a wild animal, so in that case, I can understand why. <laughs> Looking like some freaky animatronic. <laughs> yes, just weird, lanky, furry <laughs> man. It's weird. So it's a weird. furry, uncanny valley waiting to happen. Exactly. But with this group that's sort of being shut up and dying, you do have Rick Flagg and Harley Quinn there who survive. There's no no real danger for them. I mean, yes, they're in a dangerous situation, but they're some of the characters that are probably bringing people back. So if they killed them early, I feel like it would have been a bit weird for them to do that, especially Harley Quinn, who is clearly the main pull in for people watching this. Yeah, because the other characters are just fun extras. And they do play their roles in the movie very well. But really, the spotlight is on Harley. I would say that in terms of Harley in the actual film, I will say that it's more of a side story. Like, to me, you do get way more of the main group than you actually do Harley Quinn. But 
it depends on probably who you enjoy. Because I would probably say it's about equal. Like, yes, Harley Quinn has her own, like, actual story going on on her side. But the the main people you follow have just as much screen time. They're acted almost as well. I still think that Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn does still a standout job. Yeah. And you get this feeling from Harley Quinn as well during her little side story that she doesn't really know about this project. Like, I don't even know if she, like, her and her team or whatever were even, like, clued in. (laughs) No, we don't. And at the same time, it doesn't matter anyway, because we are shown Harley Quinn's memory isn't the best. Yeah, that is true. But once we get sort of, like, past this beach scene, which, to be honest, I do think is still a fabulous way to set up your movie. It is. And there's this whole disorganised chaos about the opening of the film once shit hits the fan, that it does sort of carry through the rest of the film. So once that scene ends, we then get the sort of actual construction of the Suicide Squad, our Team B, that we are following. Yes. And we end up getting King Shark, or Nanawe, voiced by Sylvester Stallone, John Cena as Peacemaker, Bloodsport as Idris Elba. Bloodsport as Idris Elba. Ah, Bloodsport as Idris, <laughs> Idris Elba, that's right. <laughs> no, we, we obviously get Idris Elba as Bloodsport. Ratcatcher 2, played by Daniela Melchior. And, oh, just just the, the creme de la creme on the team. You get yourself that polka dot man cherry on top, Ooh. played by David Dasmalkian, I think. I don't know how it's pronounced. Neither do I. It's funny you mentioned Cena because I was told he was in this film, but I didn't see him. Uh, me, me neither. No. Every time somebody died, it was just followed by... And I'm like, oh, this boy. is this is really weird. <laughs> <laughs> but terrible jokes aside and all that, a way better Suicide Squad team. It's mostly made of normies, and then you have a man who has <laughs> polka dots, which can tear through anything it seems like pretty much and a big old mutant shark god half thing. god man thing yeah who is also a shark yep and um technology rat woman she's just a normie as well just relying on technology right that she didn't invent they're all mostly normal people and quite honestly that's one of the more entertaining things about the film yes it is especially since you literally get back to back within the span of like a minute or two of amanda waller describing bloodsport as oh he was raised since a child to be a ruthless killer by his dad and then she goes we've selected you a team that has unique capabilities and they're all individuals and you know they're all strange and special and great at what they do here's peacemaker he was raised since a child by his dad to be the best warrior ever it's like <laughs> you gotta gotta step back a second you just said everybody was different is the same as me gosh dang it but the slight difference that he's blindly patriotic to a fault He is an American man who thinks of nothing but America. (laughs) And he's nothing but a detriment to the team uh, in the end. That is true. He is is just a big old, big old dicks eating on a beach man is what he is. Yeah, it's good that the film's willing to poke fun at the fact that most of their characters are samey and normal. Because really, it's not about the abilities in the end with the Suicide Squad. It's about how the characters interact. And, like, the eventual teamwork and sort of how they combine and stuff like that. Which, actually, if I'm honest, apart from, like, when we get closer to the end, 
I still don't think that they work together really well, which I actually no. think is... <laughs> they're, dis- they're a disorganised mess. Yeah, they are. Like, I like the fact that that still doesn't really get fixed at the end. Like, it is, no, the- these people are still, you know, they're, they're forced to work together. And yes, they come together slightly towards the end, but they're still individuals that have either committed a crime or murdered people or something like that. Exactly. And the characters' flaws are shown to be some of the reason why they have hiccups in their journey. Because you have you have Bloodsport and Peacemaker who are told to go to this place to rescue Flag. But they aren't told that the place belongs to the Freedom Fighters. So they just go in there, guns blazing, they have a, re- a weird measuring yes. contest, killing people in wacky ways. I would have loved a little more of that, but I really am glad with the amount we got. We end up having a bit of a small camping session where we learn more about the characters a little bit. Yes, and we find King Shark is bulletproof. Yes, we find out that King Shark is bulletproof, and he's friendless. But he's not anymore. He's got at least not anymore. four other friends, maybe? Question mark? Probably not. Well, as many members as there are of the Suicide (laughs) Squad. And we sort of see a little hint at Polka Dot Man shooting off some of his polka dots at the beginning, which leads to a little bit of an air of mystery. I like that. That was actually a really nice scene. Yeah, you never really know what his power is going to do, but then I feel like they do use his ability a little too soon to take down the Watchtower. They, They do. Honestly, if for some reason he was useless throughout the entire film, and then when he takes off the bloody star roll leg at the end, that would have been like the the <laughs> great sort of like, oh, this is his power, holy shit, that's what he can do? Like that, I think, would have been pretty good. Yeah, and then that would be great as a final moment. He does his thing, then he goes. Yes, <laughs> exactly, yeah. But yeah, I mean, the whole thing with a lot of these characters is they all have a glaring character flaw that surfaces during the film and makes them really unique. When they actually bring up the flaws or their flashbacks or anything like that, it's not, like, over-dramatised. It's kind of just the characters opening up their heart in this moment where they think they might die eventually. Yeah. So they're just like, look, I am the way I am because of this. And in some scenarios, it's just due to, like, misunderstandings or circumstances. In Peacemaker and Blood Sports, it's less so. They were literally raised to be dickheads. So that's kind of what they are. Yeah, but while they were both brought up in similar ways, it has affected them differently. Yes. So Bloodsport has developed a fear of rats due to the mistreatment by his father whenever he failed. Yeah, that is true. And there true. are probably other bits of trauma or PTSD <laughs> within that. there somewhere we haven't uncovered yet. Yeah. And Peacemaker does have his over-the-top, invalid sense of patriotism and it's invalid because he will believe in the country even if the country's evil because he will justify that in his head as being for the greater peace obviously contrary to his beliefs he does say i'll kill every man woman and child to ensure peace that, which a, is the whole point of the gag <laughs> which, which even makes like right catcher to be like you're absolutely insane yeah, exactly. He's not hes not a balanced individual, it's but most not. of these aren't. And I like the fact that she turns over to Polka Dot Man and then goes, and I thought you were the crazy one, and he's just like, I am. It's like, oh, fucking, <laughs> yeah, we're all just gonna horrendously die. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah. here we go. <laughs> but then we end up getting to the resistance camp, like you said. We don't know that it's a resistance camp. Although, throughout this scene, you do just see, like, woman washing clothes. 
guys just jovially having a conversation. Is it like a dude in a bath? <laughs> yeah, it's just like a dude having a, uh, having a bath. There's a few moments in that sequence as well that I will add, where while they're fighting, there are actors just sort of waiting uh, okay, yeah. for the Suicide Squad to approach them so they can begin the fight sequence. Yeah. This happens a couple of times in the film, but luckily when it does happen... The people who are waiting are often out of frame. Ah, right, okay. Based on the way it was cut together, there was like a group of three people watching Bloodsport choke out a dude. (laughs) Yeah. And then they wait for their turn to fight. And in terms of on-screen portrayals of dick measuring contests, I do actually think that this is one of the most fun depictions Like, I like the fact that it starts off with them just doing, I guess, basic kills in a way. Like, Peacemaker just uses his axe, Bloodsport uses a slingshot, I guess? Then it just ends up with him turning the slingshot into a garrote wire, which I think is actually a decent use of still using the things on his body as a weapon. (laughs) And just across the way, a bloody Peacemaker just chopping this same guy up like seven casually walking past. It's like, that's that's such a fun... It's just like the idea of just this one guy who's going to kill mercilessly without a care in the world, and then someone who's trying to use, like, tact, or, like, maybe try and take them down semi-silently. Which is another thing as well. Like, despite how fun that scene is, there is absolutely no way that... The resistance leader, I think Sol Soria, something like that, would not hear them. They weren't being silent. Like, at all. No. No. You're telling me Rick Flag and Sol Soria didn't hear anybody scream or shout or explosions? On that note as well, going back to the nighttime thing with King Shark. Yeah. Bloodsport shot at King Shark at night. And we are aware that the entire military is in this forest, in this general-ish area. Yeah. So they should have kind of got some attention there. It wasn't the best thing to do. He had a sling. We know he has a sling. Why didn't he use that in the night scene? Because at least that wouldn't cause issues. Yeah, that's that's true. But it does seem odd to me that they would do that and keep that in the film. I guess it's just more of a panicked reaction, like try and use one of your biggest weapons to take out this weird half-shark god thing right but it would have alerted the military so they at that point they should have been surrounded they might have been too occupied with capturing harley quinn to be honest i don't know they put her in a ditch and left her there they made the camp after all this stuff happened because you see the giant explosion which was the helicopter at one point so it's already happened by the time they've made camp so the the military would still be fairly nearby because they didn't cover much ground from the looks of it no but that entire scene of just them killing all these resistance fighters. It's kind of dark humour. Oh, yeah. No remorse, either, from any of them. (laughs) Like, despite the fact that they found out that, you know, they just killed a bunch of, like, actual families and, you know, good people, they were just like, eh, oh, well. You'll make more. It's like, oh, okay. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Fair enough. But, yeah, this this is kind of when the full squad, apart from Harley Quinn at this point, where the full squad ends up being made, because now you've got, like, the resistance, both in the actual town and outside on their side. They've got Rick Flagg back in the action, and they've got their new faithful companion who will be with them forever and always. It is your loyal bus driver, Millen. Hey, hey. Best, best guy. Best guy. Bye. Best bro. He's, he's a friend to everyone. Everyone. He's a friend to you and me. And 
I, I kind of like that. Like, to be honest, this, this film's weird. Because there's a decent amount of moments where the film does kind of just go to a halt. Like, the camping scene, to me, is kind of where the film halts a little bit. Like, yes, he does have a fight with King Shark, but even that doesn't last very long. The bus journey itself, and also, like, the walk to the bus, are both slow moments that do really well at developing those characters. Because, like, the walk to the bus, you end up getting Polka Dot Man's origin, where he's just basically Norman Bates, and he has, like, been raised by his mother to be a superhero, he's been infected by this flesh-eating virus, and ultimately, he hates his mum because of this and has killed her. It's also when you get, like, the psychosis issue, where now everybody looks like his mother, it's like, oh. <laughs> yeah, there are a few little scenes that show everyone as <laughs> his mother, and they're pretty good. Honestly, yeah. Uh, Polka Dot Man, I think, might be my favourite member of the team. Yeah, he's mine too. And Ratcatcher 2 and Polka Dot Man are, like, two of, I would say, the more obscure characters. And I think both of those two are the best, with Polka Dot Man just being at the top, just because I love the fact that he's just a nice guy. Yeah, and in terms of power level, Polka Dot Man is clearly the most powerful. Uh, I can I can see that, you know. But it's, it's just the idea of, I guess, you know, can you make him think someone's his mom? Turns out, the answer is yes. Real easily, to be honest. His biggest weakness is his own mental state. He just He's just a child, really, when you think about it. He certainly Big is. Big old mama's boy. Big old mama's boy. But the bus scene is when you get Ratcatcher 2 and Bloodsport's backstories. And I, I like the fact that with Ratcatcher 2, they do the actual flashback on the window, but you still get to see her explaining the story. And I think as a visual yeah. detail, that's really nice. Yeah, and, and really, visually, transitionally, they have some pretty good effects. Yeah. I think Gun went a bit gun ho. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> with the transitions, because a lot of them are incredibly jarring cuts that lead to text, and I do think they were a tad overused. I think that's kind of weird as well, because James Gunn also did the Guardians films, and I love those as yes. well. With the Guardians films, it seems like he just completely did his own thing. Like, he had these characters and he sort of did, like, his own twists on them, just using the basis of the characters. But yeah. in this film, it seems like he truly wanted to go, this is an actual comic book movie. So, like, when it jumps to, here's a new scene with text, that's like when you've reached a new page on a comic book or a new chapter or something. Yeah, I did see them as chapters, yeah. but I'm opposed to naming chapters normally in films, especially showing them. That's a very Snyder cut thing yes. that I really <laughs> don't like. Yeah. And fun fact, Snyder was exec producer on this, or one of exec producers, um, and with his wife also being a producer. And I don't enjoy those kind of transitions, because for me, it's just wasting time on a title card yeah. in order to split the movie up into, I guess, episodes. Yeah, that's true. When they could have had a smoother transition or something that made, for me, a little more sense on my eyes. Yeah, I get it. I mean, there's a couple of moments where it's just like a loud noise followed by here's yeah. a new scene sort of thing. Yeah. Bang! Yeah. Here's text. Exactly. Unlike the Guardians films, he wanted to truly try and make this feel like you are watching, or at least like you are reading a solo contained Suicide Squad comic book. Oh, definitely. I did get a similar feel. There's definitely more 
creative essence of Gunn himself in this film, I feel. And I guess the rating is helpful in that manner, because he can do whatever the hell he wants when there's an R rating. Yeah, like, this is a bit of a jump, but nothing highlights to me more, like, comic panel effect than when King Shark later on is ripping that guy in half and you have the lightning strike behind him and it's white and it's raining and you just have him roaring as it's like that. I could feel like if you zoomed out that would be like a full page really detailed coloured in panel in a comic book but it also kind of lessens Harley Quinn's character like overall just because I feel like they're trying to do original comic book Harley Quinn a bit too much where she becomes less of a character and just more of a redo or like an attempt. I don't mind the comic book stuff. It's the fact that it seems like Margot's character was written to replicate the Harley Quinns we've seen from movies and animated shows, less so than the comic books, while everything else seems to be very aesthetic for comics. Yeah. Even the Harley Quinn fighting scenes, which I think are absolutely amazing, by the way, that is the perfect way... I think you should write a character in an action sequence because it is amazing. It is one of the best scenes in the film. It really is. Whenever Harley Quinn's fighting, they have the sort of mental state of Harley Quinn where you see that she's becoming really happy and everything covers with flowers and bright colours and you can see that she's not all there. We have this amazing scene where Harley's breaking out and it's just colourful and it's great. And honestly, we can't do that scene justice talking about it. Like, the camera works phenomenal. The way the art goes with the real setting is just really well done. And the athletic choreography yes, as well. The choreography. Her thick thighs take lives. <laughs> they certainly it's do. such a great sequence of events. To be honest, like, I, I, I do agree. Less comic book, more, like, animated and previous film types where they've just tried to, like, go way too animated with the acting. But everything else about Harlequin... He's pretty aces. good. Yeah, really well yeah. done. If I were to give uh, Margot a rating, I'd give her, like, a 90%. Very good. That breakout scene happens just after our main characters have sort of also had a fun scene. Like, they've had their heart-to-heart talk, and they are waiting for the Thinker, who is played by Peter Capaldi. Who? Uh, The Doctor? The Thinker? Yeah, but Doctor Who? Doctor Who, yeah. No, I got got you eventually. (laughs) Just slow minds with this one right here. Slow, slow You're definitely not one of the thinkers. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not. I'm one of just the needles in his brain, just wondering where I exist. (laughs) One of his sonic screw brains. (laughs) Yes. Oh, but they're they're sort of waiting for him at this. uh, I was going to say at this bra. Oh God, I'm truly not the thinker. (laughs) (laughs) You're you're thinking of that one booby lady. (laughs) That's that one booby lady. That's right. (laughs) Oh, but they're they're waiting for the thinker at this bar, and for some reason they've just give John Cena the smallest clothes possible. Tiny baby clothes. Just give him the tiniest baby baby clothes. <laughs> yeah. Like, God damn it. Yeah. And they've made, like, Polka Dot Man, like, a guy from the 80s as well. It's like... Yeah, he gave me Tobey Maguire vibes there you know in that scene when he's doing his little dance with his hair down. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. <laughs> oh, but that, that entire bit of them enjoying themselves is a really fun scene. It also shows, yeah. like, Peacemaker's becoming a little bit less of a dick because he at least, you know, goes, hey, you know, you forgot the rat's drink. That was a cool moment. I did like that, because it shows that he's seeing them more as team members now. But 
when the figure does arrive and the army does arrive and then John Cena's go-to is I'm immediately just going to kill everybody in this room with my dagger or sword or axe or whatever it is. Turns out America's the bad guy, but because Peacemaker is all American, doesn't matter if American's bad or good, he is bad guy now. He is bad guy now. And it's kind of good that they made him bad guy because, as we mentioned before, his character was set up intentionally to basically be the same as Bloodsport. Exactly. Yes. So it makes sense that they would be there would be some sort of rivalry between them in some way. Yes. But near in the end, Peacemaker does sort of do the unthinkable. Peacemaker goes off the deep end. Peacemaker goes and does the most atrocious act, which is kill everybody's favourite good boy, Richard Flagg. He kills him for a floppy disk, a hard drive. Like, that's not... No! Flagg does get some good shots in. He does. You know what? I am actually surprised that it wasn't a like purely one-sided fight. It totally felt like Flag was just being thrown around like a ragdoll. Which is weird, though, right? Because I understand like Peacemaker's been trained since being a kid, but they don't make reference to him being like a super soldier. So I don't understand how it is one-sided. Because, yes, I get that Rick Flag is just, you know, a military guy and he served in wars. But technically, he also served with Bloodsport when Bloodsport was in the war as well. Or they've been on, like, yep. group assignments or something together. So, you know, he's at least relatively high level in terms of that. Flag does get the upper hand at some point and almost does win. The difference in strength is apparent. But honestly, when I was watching this film, I was like, you know what, I am, you know, getting attached to these characters. If some of them die, or if, you know, a couple of them die, whatever, you know, like, I, I still really enjoy them, but I'm expecting a few of them to die. If I'm honest, Rick Flagg wasn't the one that I actually expected to die. No. Nah. I, I expected it to be one of the more powerful ones. They made him survive at the beginning, only to delay his inevitable death. Oh man, and when Peacemaker puts that like piece of slate ceramic shard in his heart. Oh yeah. And you get what they should have done in the Mortal Kombat film, might <laughs> I add, they do the little x-ray death of him sort of jabbing it in and you get to see his heart like split open from the shard. It was really out of place in this film though, because they hadn't done it anywhere else in the film and they didn't do it anytime after. And you also get it like inferred that yes the shard is in his heart like you don't really need to show it yeah but once it goes in his heart and you get that like sudden stop of music and you just get rick flag and peacemaker looking at each other and you get this look on peacemaker's face where he's like actually what have i done like it's one of the moments where like an unhinged psychopath finally realizes like oh i've actually done something genuinely bad that's affected me yeah, a small window of sense opens up and he realises that the man he previously thought of and called a hero is now dead by his hand. But he's still perfectly fine killing men, women and children. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Yep, as long as it achieves peace, it will kill every human in the world, including himself, if, if America will finally be peaceful. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But, you know, Rick Flagg goes out saying, peacemaker, what a joke. And you think maybe this is where Peacemaker's gonna change, turn his life around. He's seen the horrific Starro babies on these human corpses, which we haven't mentioned, by the way. Like, when they get to the actual uh, tower and they go into the basement with the thinker, you see Starro, basically, and you see all, like, his Starro spawn. Yeah, and Starro says... The thinker molested me. <laughs> yes, yes, he does. <laughs> oh, it does. I don't know. Don't, it, I, yeah. I, I don't know. <laughs> 
But one of the things that I love the most is the idea that those humans are kept alive even if they should be long dead. Yeah, that's the weird thing. It seems to control their nervous system. But from what we understand from the end of the film, it doesn't cause permanent damage. And, like, the idea of that being, like, if you end up killing Starro, then all these people that Starro's little baby spawn have taken control of, they're going as well. Like, there is no good end for these people. No, they shouldn't have been revived. Yeah. Additionally, it is said that each of Starro's spawn is a Starro itself with the shared consciousness of all Starro. Yes, hive mind sort of thing. Yeah. Yes, so killing big Starro wouldn't kill all little Starro. If they are a shared consciousness and parts of the same being, then each Starro has the capability to become bigger Starro. Yeah. That would make sense to me. I guess that is true, actually, yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think it's just the idea that since the little baby Starros are more of an extension of itself and not individual beings, it's like once you kill, like, you know, the queen bee, the rest of the bees are just either going to die or go out of control or something. See, that's how I think they might have been thinking of it, but it doesn't make sense to me that they would all just flop off. Speaking of that, I did, I did enjoy how they can't latch on to King Shark, so he's just yes. being battered by these, <laughs> yes. these floppy starfish. Like, it's just things like, just flopping against him. It's like, oh, great. It's weird how Starro was specifically, I guess in a way, evolved or designed to take over only humanoids. Yes. Or human-headed creatures. Because rats are unaffected, sharks are unaffected. We don't know what else isn't affected or is, but only humans got taken over, as far as we could see. Yeah, no, exactly. Like, it is specifically designed for humanoids, and that's about it. It could be that King Shark is just too dumb. I like the idea of just the fact that they're too small, so they can't fit all the way around his big, giant shark head. (laughs) I just like the fact that he's still covering his face, yet his big hands don't cover all of his head, but the starfishes are still just (laughs) flopping against him. It's like, yeah, all right, fair enough. Following along with Peacemaker's Quest for Peace, Ratcatcher 2 ends up getting the hard drive, floppy disk, whatever it is. I think it's just a hard drive, actually, I think. And, you know, Peacemaker, he forgets all about those sad feelings. He buries them deep, you know, he cages them up, and he goes ahead to try and kill what is basically just a really nice girl who hasn't even really done murders. She just got arrested for robbing a bank with a rat, and that's about it. We haven't really talked about Ratcatcher 2, because I think Daniela, as a mostly unknown name in Hollywood, did an absolutely outstanding job. I think she did a great job of just portraying someone who is kind of just like an innocent bystander in a way with no malicious intent at all like she'll defend herself but her goal isn't world domination or conquest or killing people it's just to make a living and live out a life yeah she really does play the every person in that respect yes and every character does have a moment of brief sadness or relatability but i think ratcatcher 2 may be the most relatable and most human she is the most grounded character in which we could go, yeah. yeah, you know, if we're on hard times as well, you know, we might do something drastic and, you know, get caught, which is basically the yeah. same thing that she does. I also love the fact that she's really good at portraying horrific scaredness when a giant wall yes. is pointing a gun at you. It's like, yeah, yeah, I'd be pretty scared if John Cena pulled a gun out on me as well, <laughs> if, quite frankly. So when John Cena does almost shoot Ratcatcher 2, we get this sort of side 
thing that's happening. Like, we've seen what's happening below the tower. Another sudden cut transition to earlier. To eight minutes later, even though this feels way longer than eight minutes at this point. But basically, when we cut to, like, the people at the top level, not much really happens, if I'm honest. I mean, they're planting bombs. King Shark makes some new friends that turn out to be vicious betrayers. And can wound the bulletproof shark. Yes, exactly. The weird, jagged, alien, jellyfish creatures with horrific... Just just Lovecraftian beasts is what they are. But I would say that the biggest thing that happens, if I'm honest, on their side story, is the fact that Milton dies. Okay? Like, Milton, this is where he meets his tragic end. And the only one that gives a shit is Polka Dark Man. Remember that time where Milton fought Peacemaker and and shot him? I I remember that time when Milton did do that thing that he did when he shot a giant starfish three or four times. Man, what a great guy that Milton is. Do do you remember when Milton changed his slingshot into a garot and choked a bitch? I I do. Remember that? I do remember that. Man, Man, best character. A moment of silence for Milton. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's it. That's all it gets. Yeah. Honestly, apart from that, it also establishes, I guess, why the tower's crumbling, which is that Polka Dot Man's little Polka Dot thing causes giant explosion. Bloodsport ends up doing hero landings like 75 times until he reaches Peacemaker's floor. That first fall, I think, should have killed him because that felt really high. (laughs) Maybe. All the others, fine. Each one's a story. But that first one, wow. Don't know how he landed that. I mean, come on. It's, it's, it's blood sport. You know, he's, he's, he's probably got some gadget shock absorbers in his suit or something. He's regular man, is what blood sport is. But I, I, I also love the fact that they bring the smaller bullet thing back. It's not a big thing. Yeah, it's, a decent callback. It's just the idea of Peacemaker earlier just being like, oh, I'll shoot through your bullet holes using a smaller bullet because I'm better than you and then you know peacemaker uses a big chunky bullet and then bloodsport uses a smaller one and the smaller bullet wins it's like yeah slingshot beats gun exactly you should have you should have taken your own advice peacemaker dumb idiot (laughs) you smaller bullet dingus and then once that ends we end up getting the fight with starro which you think it's going to be a big let's do a combination thing, you know? Like, this is where we fully become a team and we establish ourselves. No. No, no, they're still still a disjointed mess. They just like each other more now. Exactly. I mean, there's going to be another Suicide Squad, like, next week that's going to be full of completely different people. Like, they, for all they know, this might be the only time they all ever work together. So they don't really need to do, like, a big team-up thing. All they need to do is survive and... Most of them, except Polka Dot Man, does do that. I think they kind of had to get rid of Polka Dot Man because his power is just a little too strong. Once he adapts to his power and thinks he's a hero, he'll be more inclined to use it. So I think I think they need to get rid of him now yeah. before he gets too broken. Yeah, no, I can see that. Especially if he didn't die there, he could have just kept on shooting the polka dots until Starro was just a giant goop on the floor. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He was the counter to Starro because interdimensional circles can just go through everything. That heartwarming feeling he felt of finally becoming the superhero his mum always dreamed of. Because if you think about yeah, it, he, I guess. He, he technically 
was forced to have that dream because it was his mum's dream to raise a superhero. So, you know, I guess, I mean, it's still happy. He was happy about it anyway. So I would like to think that at that final moment, he was thinking, I finally did it, mum. I did it. You can't treat me like crap anymore. Because I'm a superhero, smush. Like, I, I also don't think it was intentional. I mean, it might have been. I don't know. But... They do a decent job of also making you feel slightly sorry for Starro as well. Oh yeah, I think it was intentional. Because Starro was... Starro just was taken, abused, used for experiments, and just wanted to float in space. I don't even think Starro, honestly, could have even got back into space. Because it seems like if he just wanted to go back to space, which might have been his his whole entire thing, you know, like, he even says with his final, like, death rattle that i just was happy floating around looking at the stars like that was my life and i was happy with it but you know if he could just go back to space i feel like he would have just done that to begin with well they were they were kind of locked up and molested so oh no i mean like when he when he finally escapes his imprisonment oh probably i don't know if starro can fly yeah and they're probably too big for a rocket now but, yeah, it's just like, when he finally does die, or when Starro does die, and you just get those final bits of him looking up at the sky, and it's just, you know, I was happy floating around, Starro's body just flumps to the floor, it's like, you know what, in a way, yeah, America is the bad guys. <laughs> but America are also responsible for being the heroes. So they're both the bad guy and the heroes, and the Suicide Squad is made up of criminals, but not all the criminals are bad guys. Yeah, that's true. So they're not the heroes or the villains or the anti-heroes, not all of them. And Starro was just abused by the evil Americans. Yes. So Starro went on an evil rampage, but Starro isn't inherently evil, and that's sort of the whole film. Yes, exactly. It's like nobody on any side at all, maybe apart from the Resistance fighters, but who knows, is really truly evil or good. There are characters that may belong to one side or the other, but they're mixed together in these groups. Yes. So it's a very grey film in terms of character morals and ethics. See, now I was going to mention, oh, there is, you know, one truly evil character, and that's Amanda Waller. But thinking on it now, because she does this thing where she's like, no, Bloodsport and crew... You're supposed to leave, you know, you've destroyed the evidence, you've accomplished your mission. Carto Maltese can deal with this weird alien thing, this isn't your issue anymore. And obviously they all are like, no, fuck you, we're gonna beat this starfish into the ground. And she's just, she's violent at this point, she's like, you will, yeah. you will turn back, I'm gonna blow you up, I'm gonna kill you all, I'm gonna murder you. But at the same time... You know, Superman exists in this world. So at some yep. point, I feel like, you know, if all it takes is a javelin and a few rat bites to put Starro down, I reckon Superman going at supersonic speed straight through the eye would also kill Starro? Yeah, but there's also the lack of forethought from Wooler, where this thing could become a world destroyer. And by letting it feast on a country, it might get enough power to fight the entire globe worth of heroes yeah that that is true starro was one if not the first big villain in dc i believe so it has the capability maybe not in the movie canon but it does have the capability to be a major threat yeah major threat but yeah it's just it's another amazing portrayal of amanda waller just just being like i i am evil 
Or am I good? And then she hit the club. <laughs> or the club hit her. <laughs> and then she got hit with the club. Exactly. The whole office sort of Deadpool thing and the way they treat others does remind me a lot of the workers from Cabin in the Woods. Yes, exactly. They're just partaking in this sort of betting on who will die, but at the same time, they don't seem too bad. Yeah, it's like, this is just this is just their job. It's like, they're not trying to be yeah. good or evil, they're just working to make a living. But overall, I mean, the Suicide Squad, it's, it's a fun journey, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, there's there's things I dislike. I mean, I I don't like the instant jump cuts, and I do feel like even though I wasn't really bored throughout the entire film, I still think that two hours might have been a bit too long. Two hours and twelve minutes, I think. I don't know. I feel like there was enough flavor in there to make the two hours go by decently quick. Yeah, there were a few slow moments. I think some of the bus stuff went on a bit too long. Yeah. Um, some of the, the introductions to the characters after the initial big fake out, I think that went on a little too long. Yeah, I also feel like the daughter thing, apart from being an initial setup to make Bloodsport do the job, still could have been cut. I think it's mentioned a few too many times. Yeah. Like, we get the idea. Yeah, like, you're doing this for your daughter, but you also don't have a single shred of kindness in you. It's like, well, you clearly do, but you're just harping on about being this tough guy. It's like, calm yeah, down. Yeah, being, being a bit edgy. Yeah. There's a fair amount of edge in the film that is out of place, in my opinion, because it doesn't need to be there. Especially with some of the dialogue options where it's like, you're a grown-ass man. Why are you doing the jerk-off motion to this other grown-ass man? Exactly, yeah. There's the millennial jokes, which I didn't care for because millennials know what OHPs are. Yeah. Because we were in the 90s and they were still around then. <laughs> yeah. So I think they meant Gen Z, Gen Z, whatever you prefer to call it, because they were born in the 2000s, you know, when computers took over everything. But did you know that starfish is the slang term for a butthole? Did you know that? I did. Whoa. And I also didn't enjoy that scene. A lot of my issues do seem to revolve around Cena's character. Yeah. And I think that's because he's meant to be a patriot man and that's it. But they try to do more with him. Like they give him a few dumb jokes, they give him a few edgy lines, they give him this and that to try and build him up as a character. Yeah. But compared to the colourful cast of all the other members of the Suicide Squad, he's just so bland. Yeah. And I didn't care for the character at all and I was glad when he died. <laughs> and I wish yeah. they left it at that, but they brought him back because obviously they've got a TV, TV show. TV show. I hope the TV show does well, and I probably will watch it. But I really wish they kept the character dead, and the TV show was more of a prequel. Maybe it is. Yeah, that's true. But I just wish they'd never brought him back. Yeah, I can kind of see it. I mean, to be honest, I think I enjoyed every character in this, um, and I mean, I think everybody still did well. Oh yeah, I just thought Cena's character had the... Of the issues I had with the writing and some of the dialogue, I think Cena had the most of them. Yeah, but I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a fun ride. I loved pretty much all the characters. For two hours, it went by pretty quick for me. Yes, it's a very CGI-heavy film, but the CGI, to me, only emphasised the fact that they're fully embracing that this is a weird comic book film. And they fully mm. go into that, which I love. There are issues with it, as there is with every film. The crass dialogue, I really don't think it needed it. Like, I feel like the comedy would have been in the dark humour of the situations and the actions that they would take. Agreed, well put. But I, overall, 
would give this an 8 out of 10. And yourself? As much as we might have complained a bit about the writing and a couple of bits of the dialogue, they are really minor yeah. compared to just the great improvement this film is when compared to the other Suicide Squad. They are worlds apart. This Suicide Squad is a silly, campy flick that's not afraid to kill off its characters for a laugh, and it pulls it off extremely well. It's super entertaining for the adult audience, and its writing really reflects a much higher quality placed on the characters in the story, rather than, let's just write some bullshit and get people to watch it. Yeah. And it makes for a really entertaining experience. It's a far improved version of the original film, which doesn't exist anymore. I was on the fence between a 7 and an 8, but after this discussion, I think I'm going to be with you at an 8. And on that note, Fruitball fans, comes the end of the episode. As always, don't forget to follow us on Spotify and all other major podcast platforms to catch new episodes every Friday. Or support us directly by going to anchor.fm forward slash Fruitball Weekly. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Fruitball Weekly to keep up to date with Fruitball news, any giveaways we may be doing, or to catch our fan-picked review polls every four weeks. Please send any feedback or any Fruitball episode ideas to us at fruitballweekly at gmail.com, and we will catch you next week. See you then. See you then.